This is Fire Rescue One Side Alpha Podcast, putting fire service leaders in front of hot topics facing firefighters today. Now here's the executive editor of FireRescueOne.com and FireChief.com, Chief Mark Bashore. Today we're talking about fire service communications, interoperability, and personnel. And we've got the right person to break it all down for us, but first, a word from our sponsor. At MSA, your health and safety drive us to develop highly advanced safety equipment to protect you on the job. MSA's Globe Gear is performance and protection in perfect balance. It's designed to meet the challenges you face every day to help keep you safe and healthy during your career and beyond. Get the full story at msafire.com slash globe. That's msafire.com slash globe. Division Chief Martha Ellis has been a public servant since 1993 and now serves as the Executive Director for the Public Safety Broadband Technology Association. She started her career as a hotshot firefighter EMT with the National Forest Service, then moved into her 22-year career as a structural firefighter with the Salt Lake City Fire Department. Her career experience includes operations, training, ARF, and fire prevention, as well as serving as the Salt Lake City Fire Marshal for over five years. She concluded her career as the Division Chief over Logistics, Emergency Management, and the Fire Intelligence Liaison Programs for Salt Lake City. Martha, I want to thank you for joining us today on the show to talk about fire service communications and FirstNet. Well, thank you so much, Mark, for having me today. I, in addition to the Public Safety Broadband Technology Association, appreciate this opportunity. And I also want to give thanks to your sponsors as well for making this happen. Outstanding. Absolutely. And it is a mouthful to say Public Safety Broadband Technology (laughs) Association. You got it out well, and that's good. Um, You know, I'm very familiar with uh, uh, FirstNet myself. Just, you know, I've been in in this business 40 years. So watching that evolve has really been phenomenally uh, exciting, frankly. Um, Can you tell us about the Public Safety Broadband Technology Association and what your role entails? And Maybe if you could give our listeners some insight on um, how you found your way going from a hotshot firefighter to, <laughs> to being executive director advocating for public safety communications. Sure. And let me just start. Let's go ahead and just call it the PSBTA uh, so we can save ourselves both that hardship. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I probably so- remember that as we go along, but that's all good. <laughs> Okay. So uh, really what the PSBTA is positioned to do is uh, twofold. Uh, We are focusing on outreach, advocacy, and education in that FirstNet space for um, FirstNet users. So we pretty much function as a user group, but we also consider ourselves a resource for those who might still be on the fence uh, or who might be making decisions based on uh, information that we might consider not completely accurate. So Uh, We work very, very hard to make sure that all of the decision makers are uh, well-versed in what they have, first and foremost, right? I I always equate uh, FirstNet to the iPhone, whereas we probably, most of us only use about 10% of what it can actually do. So our job is to make sure that users are are optimizing the use. But then we really want to make sure that as as leadership is making these critical communications decisions that, that we avail ourselves as an association uh, and I will add, we're we're very well supported, and we work in partnership with All Things FirstNet, which is a really amazing website that's continually putting fresh content out there on FirstNet, um, just to make sure that everyone's making really well-informed decisions, because clearly that's so important today with budget dollars being uh, so hard to come by and 
and everyone having to be so judicious with how we spend that money. Um, to the second part of your question, you know, I, I think I've had a pretty similar convoluted uh, career like many of us. Uh, I, I did move out of that wildland space into structural firefighting uh, back in 1994. And I spent about, oh, I don't know, eight or nine years in operations. And, and uh, then because I was uh, with child, I, I went into training when I was about four months along. And and I did that for uh, a, a number of years, actually. And, and then I was promoted to captain. I, I took a, a position as an ARF training captain. I ran the FAA training center out there at the International Airport in Salt Lake City. Uh, I then tested for a chief or division chief, and I was promoted into the fire marshal position. Uh, and it was there, uh, Mark, that I really started to um, kind of embrace this whole concept of emergency management, right? Uh, I, I think a lot of folks in ops, uh, it seems pretty foreign to them, that that emergency management role. But but as I got into that fire marshal position, I assumed some of those responsibilities. And uh, I, I took on positions such as the UASI Communications Subcommittee Chair, uh, working in, in our um, urban area, trying to figure out how to best utilize those funds. And, and then, of course, during that time period, we were, we were being invited to these APCO briefings on what was going on with what was called the D-Block back then. And uh, boy, you know, the whole thing was really fascinating to me uh, because, you know, and I'll talk about this a little bit later, uh, there's kind of an inherent skepticism sometimes for us first responders because we've, we've been sold a lot of interesting widgets over the years. But to, to, yeah, but to listen to the magnitude of what was going on with this D-Block effort, it, it really piqued my interest. And, and then, uh, you know, shortly after I got my master's degree in Homeland Security from uh, the Naval Postgraduate School, um, I took over the role of logistics and um, basically emergency management. And I was also heading up the fire intelligence liaison program. And, and that's when I really uh, embraced that emergency management role at a much more uh, robust level. And, and, and FirstNet was just in its kind of what I would call its incipient phases, right? It was, they were sure. just getting the RFP together and all of that. So when I retired, I was just so fortunate that with my role, um, as a chief officer, I, I had been tapped to work on the Constitution, Bylaws, and Resolutions Committee for the IAFC and developed some really good friendships during that time period, one of which, of course, was with uh, Fire Chief Al Gillespie. And, and Chief Gillespie reached out to me at the end of 2017 and said, hey, you know, what would you think about being a consultant and really help uh, bring the public safety voice into this arena and help bridge the gap between what might be considered corporate speak and first responder speak. Uh, and I, I jumped at that opportunity. And, and then that evolved into being the executive director over what was then the startup of the PSBTA. <laughs> That's good stuff. So uh, I want to go back, though, to the one thing you talked about, the website, allthingsfirstnet.com. Um, Can you tell our listeners real quick what they're going to find there? Oh, it's a treasure trove of information and it's constantly being updated. And we get, uh, basically it's a, a lot of white papers, articles. Uh, we will link into uh, other publications that are publishing interesting cutting edge information about what's going on in that broadband space. Um, we have some original work that is also uh, published there as well. Uh, it, it's really just a great place to, uh, I would highly recommend people getting on the actual newsletter uh, distribution list for that because it's constantly bringing in the information that is, uh, and I'll say this, look, FirstNet is in a constant state of flux and 
And if you're not right, and if you're not keeping your finger on the pulse, you know, there might be some really cool innovations uh, that you're missing out on, or maybe some critical elements about what's going on, either with the network, the ecosystem, uh, that might be critical to your decision making process. So at a minimum, tap into it, right? Yeah. Yeah, so um, it kind of takes me towards the, the next thing I wanted to ask you. You know, FirstNet, a lot of folks heard about it. A lot of folks have heard a lot of stuff about it. Um, you know, I've written a, a story. I've, of course, followed it myself. I wrote a story about a success case in uh, Western Maryland where they implemented. And uh, within um, a couple of days, they'd had several success stories of being able to uh, use the technology to find different things that, that would have been problematic before. But there's a lot of people who... Um, my words, a lot of people who consider FirstNet just noise, okay? They just, it's just more noise. So if you were making an elevator pitch to them and you had 30 seconds to sell them on it, what? how would you do that? Well, I would just, uh, first, I want to acknowledge that inherent skepticism. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but what I will say is this, uh, public safety fought seemingly impossible battles within our own ranks, uh, some of which clearly we're still fighting uh, to bring people along, but you know, also on Capitol Hill, uh, in generating his bipartisan support for securing the D block for first responders. Um, mm-hmm. But you know, the the other part of this is that um, first responders, for the first time in our history, have been made a priority when it comes to broadband services. Every fiber of FirstNet is born from the relentless work of the cross-disciplinary effort, which is another really important part uh, to bring to light here, right? This is police, fire, and emergency comms coming together to make this happen and creating that common voice in on behalf of first responders. So um, there's no other nationwide public safety network out there. Um, this is our network, and it succeeds only because of us. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, a- and AT&T does not own the network. We do. So, you know, it's really up to the first responders to learn about it and look for ways that they can tr- contribute to its ongoing success, frankly. Yeah. So, I mean, and, and to that, I mean, AT&T essentially has a, was it a 20 or a 30 year essentially lease on running mm-hmm. the program? Yeah. Uh, and then it'll be determined at the end of that, you know, who continues to run the program. Yeah. It's a 25 year contract. Yeah. Yep. So uh, can you help our listeners understand how some departments are using FirstNet today, uh, if you have some examples or real life incidents that I'm sure that would resonate with folks who might still have some of that. And you know it's out there, the skepticism that uh, that I've heard. Maybe this will help. Okay, so you're asking me in terms of how agencies are leveraging the network? Yeah, it, yeah. how uh, use cases that where people have implemented uh, the technology that's there and use the network to make a difference in their communities. That's what I'm looking for. Because I think a lot of people just think, oh, it's just another uh, way for AT&T or someone else to make money. And we, and I know, and you know, that's not the case. Um, so I'd like, uh, if there are success stories that you think we could give people or examples of places they could look, that'd be a great thing. Oh, absolutely. So um, I think despite the fact that Clearly, these last 18 to 20 months have have put a great strain on our country and on our globe uh, in dealing and managing the pandemic. I think one of the things that it has done is it has allowed FirstNet to really move into some of these spaces 
that would never have been afforded to it had we not had what I would consider these compounding events, right? So you, you've got this universal nationwide event that's going on, and it's a continuum of dealing with COVID, whether it's standing up the testing sites, uh, creating the distribution of, uh, of vaccines, uh, all of that 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 prevails and, and is pervasive within every community. But then you throw on top of it the earthquakes that we experience, the hurricanes, the tornadoes, and the wildfires. So there are several specific uh, examples that I would cite. One would be when we deployed the Navy medical ships, the, the Mercy and the Comfort, uh, both to their respective major cities on the east and the west coast, being San Francisco and New York. Uh, when those ships arrived, uh, you know, they had to integrate into this existing uh, infrastructure of communications that was on the land between all of these first responders and the hospital networks and all of those sorts of things. And it wasn't working. Um, it, it was not working. And so there was an immediate deployment of first net personnel and assets into both of those areas to make sure that the communications was seamless before between the uh, crews on those ships and any of the first responders or hospital um, personnel that needed to communicate with them. Um, another specific example would be in the same context would have been in San Bernardino. Uh, they were setting up a testing site and again, they were just having horrific interoperability problems and, and not being able to integrate into that communications a network that, uh, you know, would have been in place for a normal set of circumstances. And again, FirstNet came in with the SAT Colts and um, actually brought in the uh, phones themselves for folks that didn't have them and really facilitated uh, bridging those communication gaps. Uh, and, and one last thing I'll say about this is a fascinating uh, uh, side note is that because of this um, how can I phrase this? I would say that, you know, you can tell everybody how great FirstNet is and they can go out and do what I would call their blue sky testing. But until these things are really uh, demonstrated and for people, it's hard to get folks to really buy into it. But the number of upticks in in uh, FirstNet adoptions during COVID, I think is demonstrative of the fact that people were finally seeing and saying, wow, okay, now there is a difference. So. Those are some of the examples that I would cite. Can you speak to those that, that quantity of uptick uh, during COVID and maybe that'll help some of the departments that haven't embraced uh, or adopted FirstNet yet um, maybe help them change their mind? And, and really what I'm getting at is there, why are there departments still uh, skeptical? What, do you know what it is? And again, maybe that uh, if, if you kind of gave them a flavor for how many people have been being, adding to the system, it would help sure. build that momentum. Sure. And and Mark, I don't have the specific numbers. I, I can't give you a specific uh, sure. uh, data point on the COVID uh, increased adoptions, but I can tell you this. You know, FirstNet currently has over two million connections. Uh, and, and when you think right. about that in the con, right? If you think about that in the context of this network having being stood up from scratch, right? Because FirstNet is a standalone network, which is another point that I really want to drive home. So we're basically building a brand new network. And within four and a half-ish years, we've got over 2 million connections. And that would include um, over 15,000 public safety agencies and organizations that have subscribed to FirstNet. So um, yes, there, there's still some inherent pushback uh, across the country. But I would say 
that what we're recognizing and realizing in this data is is a resounding success, right? Um, and and in my humble opinion, I, I think it's only going to continue to grow as people really start to dive into what's going to be afforded to them on FirstNet. So to speak a little bit about the pushback. Okay. So one of the things as a consultant, I, I get out in the field a fair amount and, and I speak with a lot of chiefs uh, pr pr uh, primarily in that fire space. And, you know, some of the things they'll say is, um, you know, we just, uh, we've tested it and we just, we're just, we just don't have the coverage. And I will just casually ask, well, when did you test it? And they're like, oh, God, like three, four years ago, we did a test on AT&T's network. And I was like, okay, so let's start by saying this. It is absolutely imperative that if you are basing today's decisions on yesterday's data, then you are not really giving yourself the full uh, picture of where we are with developing this network. So that's first and foremost. We see that a lot that people are basing their decisions on old um, on old data, and um, you know, and and some of the other things. And and I'm not I, I refuse to disparage, but some of the other things that we are up against is um, uh, some of muddying the waters, right? I mean, AT and T was the only one that bid uh, responded to the RFP for FirstNet. But I think as I have actually spoken to leadership within some of these other uh, commercial carriers, one, they didn't want to color inside those rigid lines of the oversight of the authority and the statutory language. Um, but honestly, they just didn't think it was going to happen. They, they really sure. didn't think it was going to happen. So, so now they're kind of playing catch up, right? They're really behind the power curve on what's going on here. And, and I think that there could be a propensity for a little bit of misinformation. And then you couple that with some of that uh, um, commercial uh, loyalty, because some of these fire departments have been with X, Y, and Z carrier for a long time. So there, yeah. there's an inherent loyalty there. So sure. that's yeah. that's kind of what I looked at as I, as, you know, as I'm looking across the field and what I've picked up in the last three, four years as a consultant out there. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, um, a vast majority of our departments across the United States not necessarily the vast majority of firefighters, but the mass, vast majority of departments are still rural departments. And in the case of where I'm at in Central Florida, you don't think of Central Florida as rural, but you know we are the uh, the, the second um, highest grossing cattle production state in the country behind Texas. And most people don't realize that there's a large portion of a lot of states that are still rural and uh, FirstNet has not made it to us yet as a stand-up system. We're in the process of building five towers to uh, get the AT&T network in place. So we're part of the solution for here in Central Florida, and uh, we're, we're proud to be a part of that. Uh, but I can absolutely uh, relate to some of what you said about the uh, dependency on relationships with other carriers that people have been with for a long time. Uh, and then you add to that the political misunderstandings of where the money's coming from and who's paying for it and who's maintaining it. Um, you know, the the system uh, can be phenomenal if, like you said earlier, if we make it phenomenal. And uh, I, I sure hope we'll continue to do this. This, this is good stuff. Um, need to take a break for a second and hear a word from our sponsor. At MSA, your health and safety drive us to develop advanced safety equipment with performance and protection in perfect balance. Like Globe Athletics, the latest innovation in turnout gear. 
Developed as athletic gear for firefighters, Athletics uses unique stretch fabrics that provide body contoured fit for unprecedented range of motion and flexibility. It's lighter weight, less bulky, and provides the protection you need from your turnout gear. Get the full story at msafire.com slash globe. That's msafire.com slash globe. Martha, you wrote an article for us recently titled, A Plea to First Responders, Join FirstNet to Expand Your Communications Options. It was part of our Fire Rescue One um, Voices series where firefighters can share their insights and opinions on topics that they're passionate about. So in that article, uh, which listeners can find at firerescueone.com and in our show notes, you describe the point we're at as a powder keg of progress, uh, specifically where chiefs and departments are with respect to embracing FirstNet. Can you explain that? Sure. And just to put it in context, what, what I meant when I was talking about the powder keg of process is really in uh, innovation and public safety driven uh, network application and hardware development. And I, I just think back to the early days when I would be walking around in the exhibit floor, either at FDIC or um, FRI. And, you know, there was there was innovation, clearly. Clearly, there was uh, technology that was being uh, sold and marketed. But the linchpin to that technology working has always been a reliable network. And, and in the right and the, and the constructs of a reliable network aren't just a, a network. It, it is a network that, one, you don't find yourself competing uh, with other commercial users. Um, you have the, uh, the capacity and the access to know that when you're going to start drafting your emergency response operations plans, and you're going to start integrating some of these applications and hardware into that plan, you have to be able to do that with a very high level of, of, of um, uh, comfort and um, knowing that you can rely on that network being there for you, right? So with FirstNet, this is where this, this tectonic shift has come along. And it's very funny because when, uh, you know, the likes of Fire Chief Jeff Johnson or uh, Police Chief Chris Moore or uh, Police Chief Chuck Dowd were up there on Capitol Hill fighting for this network, there were so many naysayers, right? You know, the, the, um, the industry isn't going to support this. You're not going to get people to build phones specifically for you. Um, you know, even in the application space, there was a lot of negativity that has been proven to be so completely wrong and joyfully i can i can say that because what has happened is now that people see firstnet and they see uh what they can do leaning into this extremely reliable network the, the innovation's exploding and it's exploding at the hands of first responders saying here are my hurdles i need to overcome um, getting with those innovators, doing these hackathons and, you know, trying to solve these problems and doing it in an intuitive way. So truly what we're seeing here, what we're witnessing here is is an unprecedented shift of technology isn't just going to be a nicety. It is going to be a necessity. And, and that is just the bottom line. There will be no excuses uh, going forward why technology isn't being leveraged to its highest degree. Right. Sure. And, you know, clearly the availability of connectivity and options is is becoming nearly limitless today, uh, you know, compared to where we were. 
when when we talk about the public safety environment though and, and connectivity we know that can be a blessing or a curse uh, depending on your outlook but uh, connectivity that is can you explain the crucial connectivity you discuss in your article absolutely and and again this is just one of the things that uh, is such a significant shift in in what public safety has access to and what they can rely upon right so uh, first and foremost there's the separate core there's the network right and and the AT&T, FirstNet AT&T per contract is required to uh, provide services, I think, to about 95% of the geographical uh, area. Yeah. And that, and I'm right. glad you brought up the, um, the rural space because that includes rural and urban space alike. Now, granted, that what is that other 5%? Well, there's going to be places where you know, backhaul is impossible or access is impossible um, based on the topography. So uh, where do they go to fill in those gaps? Well, that's where the response operations group comes into play. And this group, uh, I, I think this is one of my most favorite parts about FirstNet because the the evolution of the ROG, as it is called, has really been unprecedented. It started off uh, conceptually as a lending library, and you know that 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 that's fine, right? Where you would check out this this SAT cult or some other mechanism of of creating a, a coverage within a space that you didn't have it for whatever reason. Um, but as they brought this incredible team together. And let me say, everybody on this team, uh, they are all well-seasoned first responders uh, that are coming together to uh, put this response team in place. They started saying, you know, this this ROG concept, this lending library concept is, is just not good enough for what first responders need. So they started looking at ways to work elbow to elbow with these uh, state level and local level emergency management teams to help um, forecast. Like, let's look at some of the, the um, specifics of a community, right? And, and I think that the White City uh, uh, flooding was a really great example of this. Uh, as they knew that the hurricane was coming up the coast, uh, they'd already built the relationships first and foremost uh, through these uh, blue sky planning opportunities. And they were able to work with the local people to say, well, where would be the best place to stage these? And where the original first net plan was, wasn't going to work. It was going to cut the assets off from where they thought the greatest need was going to be. So that local team was going to be able to to bring together the whole uh, historical perspective and say, nope, you want to put the asset here. And it it was uh, a game changer, right? So the ROG has evolved from a lending library to an integrated resource uh, that anybody who is a first net pers- uh, subscriber can, can uh, call 24-7 to get these assets in place. Um, and with it comes clearly the the subject matter expertise of this team, um, and and then you know the other the last piece that I'll talk about was a really cool uh, uh, announcement at the end of January with this high powered user equipment. Uh, one of the things that allows FirstNet to really stand separate and apart is the fact that you know this is this is a a federal government managed program. It is the largest private public partnership outside of the scope of the Department of Defense. And so when the licensure for the D-Block or Band 14, as it's referred to now, was issued to the FirstNet Authority, a lot of other um, uh, 
uh, what, what would be the word I would want to use? I don't want to say privileges, but a lot of other considerations were able to be uh, included in that. Uh, and it was included in that statutory language. It is the only network that has access to this high powered user uh, capability. So what that does is one, in your rural spaces, it allows you to push the limits to the outer edge of that uh, broadband coverage to the network coverage. And then in the uh, in the urban space, you have you know greater penetration. Um, some of these cities can be like giant canyons with these high rise buildings that allows for greater uh, distribution of the signal. So um, you know th those are the kinds of co connectivity uh, access distinctions that FirstNet definitely brings to the table. Sure. Um, a couple we're running a uh, little short on time. I got a couple more questions I want to get, though. Uh, in the discussion of um, the, the construct of the network, you speak of the out of your article, the newfound focus on on uh, public safety networks as a tectonic shift. Mm hmm. So um, we mentioned a few minutes ago, and I recognize you're not going to disparage other carriers, but what is it that that stands out about FirstNet specifically that the other carriers come up short on? Sure. And, and when I talk about the tectonic shift, what I mean is for decades, public safety has had to bend to the will of the commercial carrier's profit model, yeah. right? That That's not a mystery. So we were always left to compete for that broadband access with communities that you know might be facing catastrophic events, right? And, sure. and we were not the priority. We were simply forced continually to fit into that model. And frankly, without FirstNet being in place, there was no incentive for a commercial carrier to start giving that consideration to first responders. There just wasn't. We're, we're a small market, right? So yeah. what, what FirstNet did is it, it provided this framework and, and then it, it pushed out this invitation through the uh, uh, RFP for these carriers and other entities to go ahead and respond to it and say, yes, we're willing to work with these uh, constructs. And and there's two interesting things about this, because this is going to sound kind of like I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth, but there there's definitely a rigid component to what uh, the awardee was going to have to do. But the other thing that was really, really interesting about the way that they did the RFP was that it was performance-based, which is really different than so many other government contracts. When you have a performance-based RFP, it tells you what the desired outcomes are, right? But it affords that innovation and that latitude to the people who understand that broadband space better than public safety does, right? So we knew what we wanted, but we weren't 100% sure how to get there. But what was key is finding a carrier who was willing to work with us and and you know crack that code, so now AT and T is not um, like any other. And I won't say AT and T. Now FirstNet being built by AT and T is not like any other commercial carrier. They have a whole different framework in place that that drives where their money goes. And and with that, I will also mention that a lot of the money that is brought in uh, through the subscriber fees goes back into reinvestment. Uh, it is mandated that it goes back into reinvestment. Right. So I will say that. But the other part that's really fascinating about this is it gives AT&T, FirstNet AT&T, that latitude to really make public safety-centric decisions 
um, that they would have never been able to do if they were simply bringing these ideas, say, to a board meeting or whatever, you know, or do a shareholders meeting. And and it's interesting because I had I had the opportunity to interview uh, Jim Bugel, who is the vice president over FirstNet for um, AT and T. And and I said, well, Jim, wasn't it kind of a challenging? He says, honestly, Martha, it allowed our country, our company, to grow in ways that we never could have done just without that framework. So it, yeah. it, it's really a fascinating dynamic. And again, across the board, everything is um, public safety centric. Now, very quickly, and I know we are running out of time, but very quickly, I want to talk about the the constructs of the authority, right? Because it's a really important relationship that people have to understand between the FirstNet authority and FirstNet built with AT&T. They are very, very different entities. Uh, clearly, one is a, uh, a federal authority, an agency that was literally stood up from scratch with the uh, statutory language being adopted. And then AT&T being that private partner that came in and uh, was awarded the bid. When you look at the amount of public safety input into what the decisions are uh, that are being made at first that the authority, you've got the public safety, um, uh, hold on, you've got the board, right, which also has set seats that have um, uh, actual public safety designations. Right. There's a couple of firefighters on there and some, some police chiefs and communications people. Um, you've got the um, PSAC, which is the, uh, you know, the public safety advisory committee. And that is a large cadre of first responders who are continually being given some of the challenges and, and uh, they're able to work on those and then put recommendations back into FirstNet. You've got the Department of Commerce, right? So there's, here, here, here's the one thing that I will say, you know, when FirstNet first was stood up, people were like, oh, there's no competition. They're, they're cornering this market. And it's like, no, if you think that, that the constructs under which FirstNet AT&T has to work is any less rigorous than what the open market would provide, I would, I would beg to differ, you know, um, and the best part about it is we hold the keys to that roadmap. We, public safety, hold the keys to the direction that the whole thing goes. So, um, you know, I, I hope I answered your question. Uh, there's just oh, so absolutely. much going on. Yeah, there's so much yeah. going on that uh, it's really... Yeah, we, um, we, we could probably talk for six hours and not not brush everything we need to brush. But the, yeah. I do want to hit, um, um, I hear there's some, I'll call it new old stuff. I'll, I hear there's some new old stuff coming. I'm hearing push to talk. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, it's funny because you, those of us that are familiar with the, the old Nextel generation, um, <laughs> yeah, we, we, we saw that a while ago and we we're like, hey, that's a great idea. And then all of a sudden, poof, it was gone. So, um so what what we like to say about where we're headed with with the push talk now is it, it's kind of it's like Nextel on steroids, right? We the level of innovation is is so off the charts on how eighteen FirstNet AT&T is going uh, at this whole uh, push to talk conundrum, right? Because this is something that we know once we crack this code, we've we've really done uh, some monumental work in overcoming that interoperability problem. And um, so, yeah, so there's been really incredible developments with uh, with everything that's going on with the push to talk. Um, and of course, I, I can't I, I don't want to get into the techie details of it, but suffice it to say they are streamlining it, making it more intuitive and accessible and, and interoperable uh, across jurisdictions. So um, 
and I would highly encourage people to, to do a little bit more research on that and see where we're headed with how the technology is supporting that effort. Um, another couple uh, really fascinating things that are coming up are the Z access, which is also exclusive to FirstNet. Um, and if you're not familiar, you know, clearly we've had the X and the Y for a long, long time, which is, you know, looking at a, at a block from uh, bird's eye view, you can pretty much determine where that individual might be within the block. But now you add a, a 32 story building onto that block and determining what floor that crew is on uh, or where that individual white might be was completely impossible without the Z access. So now we've got this elevation component that we are able to get a really solid idea of where our crews are. And, you know, I don't know how long you've been in the business, but I, I think to one Meridian Plaza, right, where that poor yeah. crew thought they were on one floor and they were not. And so they were reporting their location. And unfortunately those RIT teams went in and they were not where they thought they were. So this kind sure. of technology advancement is, is really going to uh, change the, the way we look at situational awareness and afford that exponentially higher level of first responder safety. Yeah. Uh, so really some exciting stuff. And, uh, I, I wish we had more time to to talk about the other things coming, but you know that that's enough to uh, to wet that whistle. I'm sure, and we'll we'll drive people to the website. Anything else you want to add? Oh well, first and foremost, thank you so much for having me. This is really oh, absolutely, amazing. and and thank you to MSA, uh, your sponsor, for uh, sponsoring this uh, podcast. And and I would highly encourage folks to join us uh, at the PSBTA. Uh, our website is the PSBTA.org. Um, when you join our association, you really help us advocate for you and support the events that we do around the country. Um, one of those events that I will just pitch a little bit for is we're doing a users, a FirstNet user summit in Las Vegas this coming January. Um, this is not exclusive to users. Again, we always want to throw our arms around those that are on the fence and try to get the most current information to them so they can make those decisions, uh, well-educated decisions. So, um, yeah, and just send one of your representatives to our our summit because we would love to have an opportunity to meet and greet and learn more about your agency, learn more about what you're doing with FirstNet and or learn about some of the obstacles to adoption. So, mm. yeah, we hope to see you there. Mm. <laughs> A user summit in Vegas in January. Uh, we have to talk to Fire Rescue One about that. Oh, well, Martha, I, I appreciate it. Yeah, yeah no I was going to say we're on the outskirts of town, so we're at a really nice, we're at the South Point Resort, so we're hoping that, you know. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah, but just Vegas in and of itself, you know, it's it's part of the attraction. So I appreciate yeah. you spending time with us. I want to recap some of what we talked about today um, uh, with uh, Martha Ellis, a division chief retired from Salt Lake City, uh, now working for the Public Safety Broadband Technology Association. Uh, we talked about uh, a couple of websites that I'm going to give you right now. One was the PSBTA.org. That's PSBTA.org, which is the Public Safety Broadband Technology Association site. Um, she asked that people register there. And then we talked about allthingsfirstnet.com. Uh, she said that that's a great site to go to to find all the information you want to find out about the FirstNet program, specifically that what the PSBTA uh, is about. Uh, she talked about Martha talked about the outreach and education and providing information, especially for the users who might be on the fence. Uh, and then we talked about uh, the, the importance of the network and really a lot about the construct of the network as we went through it. And one of her quotes that uh, I, I really uh, keyed on was that 
we own the network and it succeeds because we make it succeed. Um, it, it is uh, indeed, it is the, the first and only wholly designated public safety network. So that's important. Uh, we talked about AT&T's 25 year lease to build out and manage the program. Uh, and, and as a public private partnership, it is uh, the largest public private partnership outside of the Department of Defense. So that's a pretty big deal. We talked about several success stories and, and where uh, AT&T deployments have bridged uh, clear and present gaps in systems that uh, would not have been possible before the FirstNet uh, outreach. She, uh, Martha talked about in the four and a half years that the system has been stood up, uh, that there are over 2 million connections with 15,000 public safety agencies that have come on board. Uh, another important uh, quote from Martha is that if, if you're basing today's decisions on the network and who you go with on yesterday's data, then you're making flawed decisions. Please go to the two websites, the uh, PSBTA.org and the allthingsfirstnet.com to find out the information that's accurate uh, for today. Then we talked a little bit about uh, I'm sorry, innovation and uh, implementation of technology and the build out of the network and uh, reliability of the system. And, and I mentioned how in Central Florida, we're in the process of building five towers just right here in our county uh, to be able to support the network. So the system is being built out and uh, as is uh, the RFP requires 95% of the country will have to be covered by the program, um, by, you know, by the network by the time it's built out. Uh, Martha talked about the core and the construct, and, and again, a little bit about the public-private partnership and how it is the only uh, network with access to high-powered users. So that's going to be important stuff for us. And then in reference to the article that she wrote, and you'll find the link to that in our show notes, uh, she talked about the tectonic shift uh, from a forced fit of communications to a designated framework and uh, how the RFP as it was written was a performance-based RFP and that's different from a lot of government contracts so that was a good thing uh, and then she gave us the the uh, uh, designation or I'm sorry the not the designation she gave us the uh, descriptive of the program as having the the, the uh, public part as the federal authority of FirstNet and the private part as the partner who won the bid in this case was AT&T. Um, we talked about a couple other takeaways and the one big one was the uh, Z access, the uh, elevation access to the uh, location finding and how that is now uh, being pushed into the system and, and how you know we know as firefighters how important that is to be able to have that uh, um, elevation find when we're looking for somebody. We never had that Z access before. So it's fantastic stuff coming out of the system. Potentially some push to talk that is being pushed through the system and uh, they're really um, honing that up so that it can be the right thing for us and they're working through that. And then finally, she talked about a user summit uh, in Las Vegas in January. If you go to the two websites we talked about, you'll be able to get the information there for those. That is all we have time for today. Uh, we've been talking with Martha Ellis about the First Net Network. Thanks for joining us, Martha, and thanks to our listeners for hanging in. This is Mark Bash, your executive editor for FireRescueOne.com. Have a great day on purpose. Keep safe, stay smart, and take care.